Welcome to Native New Health. Let's get started. Native New Health will address specific health concerns that plague our people. So the first step is regular exercise. try this at home. It's up to you what you like to put on, but it's very simple and quick. Exercise regularly. We cannot emphasize this enough. And welcome to Native New Health, an exciting program designed for Native people by Native people. Today we are here at the studios of SAFE TV. As we continue our Native New Health series, it is our hope that you find the joy of a healthier lifestyle. So join us and discover new ways to enhance your life. Hi there, I'm Gina Gabosch. And I'm Ed Dunn. And our subject today is understanding and managing stress. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you feel when you see this? or this. Do you want to pet it or run away from it? Friends, stress is a fact of life. Everybody has stress and only dead people don't have stress. However, stress that goes on and on and on can affect your health and that is why you must be aware of it. The important things is that you are the one who determines how it affects your life. So learning how to keep stress from making you sick is vital to your life and health. That, my friend, is what we want to talk to you about today. So let's begin by saying that we all react differently to the same stressful event. You see, the event, or what we call the stressor, is not necessarily the problem, but your reaction to it is. That's right, Gina. Under the same circumstances, some may be affected and others may not be. Whether it is a tarantula, a snake, the volatile driver on the road, or even the excitement of getting married or taking a trip of a lifetime, all can be stressful. Yes, Ed, because stress is not necessarily all bad. There is a stress that is good also. And while you may or may not be able to change your exposure to a stressful situation, you can learn to manage your reaction to it. The word stress, as it is currently used, was coined by Hans Selye in 1936, who defined it as the non-specific response of the body to any demand for change. As the American Institute of Health tells us, for many years, stress was put in a negative light and its positive effects were ignored. However, stress can be helpful and good when it motivates people to accomplish more. Sometimes that increased stress results in increased productivity, whether it is at work or in sports or in facing a danger you may need to run away from. So any definition of stress should also include good stress or what Selye calls eustress. For example, winning a race, getting your graduation diploma, or winning an election can be just as stressful as losing, or more. As noted, stress is difficult to define because it is so different for each of us. A good example is by observing passengers on a steep roller coaster ride. Some are hunched down in the back seats, 
eyes shut, jaws clenched and white knuckled with an iron grip on the retaining bar. They can't wait for the ride in the torture chamber to end so they can get back on solid ground and scamper away. But up front are the wide-eyed thrill-seekers yelling and relishing each deep plunge who race to get on to the very next ride. And in between, you may find a few in an air of nonchalant that borders on boredom. So, was the roller coaster ride stressful? Well, I guess that all depends on your reaction to it, right? The roller coaster analogy is useful in explaining why the same stressor can differ so much for each of us. However, you need to be sensitive to the early warning symptoms and signs that suggest a stress overload is starting to push you over the bump where you will eventually get sick. Another case of stress is that which we create in our own minds because of our own perceptions. That happens when we perceive some events in our lives as an attack on our person. But as Eleanor Roosevelt noted, nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. So let us not allow it to invade our thoughts. This brings us to stress in native country and what is referred to as historical trauma. Now, while we recognize that stress is a fact of life on every human being, it is important to note that, compared to all other people groups, Native people up and down the North American landscape are at a greater risk of experiencing feelings of psychological distress. According to a study by Barnes, Adams and Powell Greiner in 2010, Natives are more likely to have poorer overall physical and mental health and unmet medical and psychological needs than other people groups. To explain why some Native individuals are subjected to substantial difficulties, Braveheart and De Bruin utilized the literature on Jewish Holocaust survivors and their descendants and pioneered the concept of historical trauma. The current problems facing the Native people may be the result of a legacy of chronic trauma and unresolved grief across generations enacted on them by the dominant European culture. Principally, the intent was to force Native people to fully assimilate into the dominant European-American culture and completely abandon their own culture. When we consider, for example, that the population of Native people in North America decreased by 95% from the time Columbus came to America in 1492 and the establishment of the United States in 1776, it is not hard to understand that there is present historical trauma that still affects Native communities everywhere. In the mid-1800s, boarding schools were established across the continent to civilize a new generation of Native people. Imagine panic-stricken Native children ages four and five years old were taken by force and separated from their parents for eight years or more, far away from home. At the boarding schools, these terrorized Native children had their hair cut and were dressed like European-American children. Additionally, all sacred items were taken from them and they were forbidden to use their native language or practice traditional rituals and religions. In the historical trauma point of view, this situation is considered the crucial precursor to many of the existing problems for some native peoples. 
Statistics indicate that a proportionally high level of native peoples have mood disorders and post-traumatic stress disorders. Suicide rates for Native American adults and youth are higher than the national average, with suicide being the second leading cause of death for Native Americans from 10 to 34 years of age. Traumatic experience causes traumatic stress, which disrupts the balance of life in the mind and the body. People who have experienced traumatic events have higher rates than the general population for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer, and gastrointestinal disorders. So let's acknowledge that historical losses do have an impact on all facets of life for our Native people. Let us also remember how our ancestors made use of the medicine wheel, model of wellness, balance, and healing, and recognize that we are interconnected through spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental relationships. And while we may face tough challenges in life, there is hope and strength available to us from the Great Spirit, who teaches us that we can do all things through our Lord who strengthens us. So, as we continue learning about stress, let us move forward, embracing a new day by choosing a positive and healthier lifestyle. What do you say? Perhaps the first step in managing stress is recognizing it in our lives. Remember that you are the one who determines how it affects your life. So, what causes you stress? What are your stressors? Your stressors could be family, work, relationships, money, or health problems, or even that roller coaster ride, or that spider, or the snake, or some other thing that stresses you out. But once you understand where your stress is coming from, you can deal with it. Or, if you cannot, at least stay away from it altogether. One thing you must not do, however, is to fall back on unhealthy behaviors in an attempt to help you relax. These may include eating too much, smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, or using drugs, sleeping too much, or not sleeping enough. These behaviors may help you feel better at first, but they may hurt you more than they help. Instead, let us show you some healthy ways to reduce your stress. There are many healthy ways to manage stress that we can call stress busters. Try a few and see which ones work best for you. Number one, recognize the things you can't change. Accepting that you can't change certain things allows you to let go and not get upset. For instance, you can't change the fact that you have to drive during rush hour, but you can look for ways to relax during your commute, such as listening to something pleasant on the radio. Number two, avoid stressful situations. When you can, remove yourself from the source of stress. For example, if your family squabbles during the holidays, give yourself a breather and go out for a walk or a drive. Don't watch that horror movie or engage in conversations that will inevitably lead to a squabble. Number three, get physical exercise. Now here is perhaps the single most powerful yet simple way to cope with your stress. Go for a walk. Getting physical activity every day is one of the easiest and best ways to cope with stress. When you exercise, your brain releases chemicals called endorphins. It can also help you release built-up energy or frustration. You can also find other things you enjoy, whether it is cycling, softball, swimming, 
fishing, or dancing, and do these physical activities for at least 30 minutes on most days. You will be pleasantly surprised at the results. Now, here's an amazing resource we'd like to suggest you get. And we already showed this to you on a previous program, the Physical Fitness Program. So we want to make sure you really get it. In his book, Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise and the Brain, Dr. John Ratty draws upon recent groundbreaking research to explain how exercise enhances learning and can lower stress, anxiety, and depression. It can help with attention deficit disorder and addictions and help regulate hormonal changes. And exercise can also help the aging brain stay young. Boy, I need some of that, don't you? Yes, Ed, we really do. And Dr. Ratty adds that exercise is the single most powerful tool to optimize your brain function. Amazing, eh? And listen to this. In one study at Columbia University, neurologist Scott Small put a group of volunteers on a three-month exercise regimen and then took pictures of their brains. The capillary volume in the memory area of the hippocampus increased by 30%, a remarkable change. And friends, that extra edge will certainly help you be better prepared to manage the stress in your life. So, let's get moving. Now here are some additional ways to cope with stress in your life. Change your outlook. Try to develop a more positive attitude towards challenges. You can do this by replacing negative thoughts with more positive ones. Be thankful for what you do have and don't complain for what you wish you had. Do something you enjoy. When stress has you down, do something you enjoy to pick yourself up. It can be as simple as reading a good book, listening to music, watching a favorite movie, or having dinner with a friend. Reward yourself. Learn new ways to relax. Practicing relaxation techniques is a great way to handle daily stress. Relaxation techniques help slow your heart rate and lower your blood pressure. There are many types including deep breathing and meditation and prayer. Connect with loved ones. Do not let stress get in the way of being social. Spending time with family and friends can help you feel better and forget about your stress. Go help someone in need. <sighs> Get enough sleep. Getting a good night's sleep can help you think more clearly and have more energy. This will make it easier to handle any problems that crop up. Aim for about seven to eight hours each night. Eat a healthy diet. Eating healthy foods helps fuel your body and mind. Skip the high sugar snack foods and load up on vegetables, fruits, whole grains, low-fat dairy, and lean proteins. Learn to say no. If your stress comes from taking on too much at work or home, learn to set limits. Don't bite off more than you can chew. And by the way, when saying no to someone, always start the sentence with the word no. For example, say, no, I don't think I want to do that for the invitation anyway. If you can't manage stress on your own, you may want to talk with your health care provider. It's perfectly normal and very wise to get the advice of experts when you need it. Now, let me introduce you to my husband, Daniel. He is a pastor and he's going to share with you how he copes with stress. Hello, my name is Daniel Gabash. I'm glad to be a part of Native New Health. 
along with my wife, Gina Gabosh, and Edward Dunn. And today I want to talk to you about stress. I'm a pastor right now, I'm a pastor in uh, Alberta, Canada. I'm with the, the native school there, it's called Mamawea Tusketan Native School. And you know, I see a lot of stress on our students there. And, uh, and so I talked to some of them. And you know, we shouldn't be dismayed when troubles come, when, when we're discouraged. You know, in my life there have been many discouragements, there have, many, there have been very many burdens. But if we put our faith and our trust in our Creator, uh, we can handle all those stressors that come our way. And one of the texts that comes to mind is 1 Peter 5, 7, where our Creator tells us to cast our cares upon Him. And another uh, text that I like is Isaiah 41, verse 10. And that scripture says that, you know, fear not, for I am with you. Uh, be not dismayed, for I am your God. And then he gives us three special promises after that. He, he, first of all, he tells us, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And the last point of that scripture says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let me tell you a little bit of how I handle stress. Uh, before I knew the Lord, um, you know, I didn't really know what happened at death. And so death to me was a stressor. Death to me, uh, I didn't know how to handle death. But once I studied the word, once I studied the scriptures, I began to understand what death was all about. And, and this really helped me in, in, a, in a tragic event that happened in our lives. Our son was born with congenital heart failure. And at that moment, you know, I began to wonder, you know, what's gonna happen to him? Uh, but you know, we were, we were lucky. He didn't die right away, but we were able to have him for approximately seven months. But because I knew what happened at death, I was able to face his death in a lot better way. You know, one of my favorite stories is in the, the book of Job and how he handled stress. Uh, in Job chapter 1, it tells us that he lost everything. He lost his health, he lost his wealth, and even lost family members. But he was able to go through that stress. Why? Because he had faith in God. There are stressors that can hurt us physically, mentally, if we don't take care of them. So we need to give those to our Creator and He will help us deal with those things. One of the things that Jesus says was, let all the people that have burdens come unto me and I will give you rest. One aspect of the medicine wheel, of course, deals with our spiritual health. So I'm inviting you today to cast your cares upon our Creator, for He will help you, He will strengthen you, and He will guide you. I'm reminded of a story in the book of Mark, Mark 4, chapter chapter 4, verses 35 to 37, where the, the Lord there invites His disciples to cross over the lake to go to the other side. And one thing we need to keep in mind with this story is that, that the Lord was with them in the boat. And guess what happened? A great storm came upon that sea. And the disciples, forgetting that Jesus was asleep in the back, it says they became afraid. Uh, because they, all they saw was the storm around them. And I don't know what kind of storm 
you may be facing today. But if you turn your heart and your life to Jesus, He can calm any storm that you're going through. I thank God for the wisdom that He imparts to us. Did you know that your levels of stress can be measured? As far back as 1967, psychiatrists Thomas Holmes and Richard Ray examined the medical records of over 5,000 medical patients as a way to determine whether stressful events might cause illnesses. Patients were asked to make a list of 43 life events that they had experienced. These events were given a relative score and the result was that a positive correlation was found between these life events and the patient's illnesses. To measure stress, according to the Holmes and Rahi stress scale, the number of life change units that apply to events in the past year of an individual's life are added and the final score will give you a rough estimate of how stress may affect your health. A score of 300 plus puts a person at risk of illness. A score of 150 to 299 means the risk of illness is moderate or reduced by 30% from the above risk. A score of 150 leads to only a slight risk of illness. Here is a partial list of life events and a life change units. Death of a spouse equals 100 units. Divorce, 73 units. Marital separation, 65 units. Imprisonment, 63. Death of a close family member, 63. Personal injury or illness, 53. Marriage, 50 units. Other stressful events are dismissal from work, 47 units. Marital reconciliation, 45 units. Retirement, 45 units. Change in health of a family member, 44 units. Pregnancy, 40 units. Sexual difficulties, 39 units. Gain a new family member, 44 units. Business readjustment, 39 units. Change in financial state, 38 units. We just saw some of the stressors that cause you stress. Now let us examine the level of stress that most likely you will or are now facing in your life. First, let's talk about acute stress. This is the most common form of stress amongst us all. This type of stress is often misinterpreted for having a negative connotation. While this is the case in some circumstances, it is also a good thing to have some acute stress in life. Exercise, for example, is considered an acute stress. Some exciting or exhilarating experiences, such as riding a roller coaster, is also an acute stress, but for some is usually very enjoyable. The thing is that acute stress is a short-term stress and as a result, does not have enough time to do the damage that long-term stress causes. On the other hand, chronic stress is very different than acute stress. It has a wearing effect on people that can become a very serious health risk if it continues over a long period of time. Chronic stress can lead to memory loss, damage, spatial recognition, and produce a decreased drive for eating. The severity varies from person to person, and also gender differences can be an underlying factor. Women, for example, are able to take longer durations of stress than men without showing the same maladaptive changes. Men, on the other hand, can deal with shorter stress durations better than women can, but once males hit a certain threshold, the chances of them developing mental issues increases drastically. Now, what happens inside of us when we are under excessive stress? Well, 
whether from internal worry or external circumstances, when we experience excessive stress, a bodily reaction is triggered called the fight or flight response. Originally discovered by the great Harvard physiologist, Walter Cannon, this response is hardwired into our brains and represents a genetic wisdom design to protect us from bodily harm. When our fight or flight responses are activated, sequences of nerve cell firing occurs and chemicals like adrenaline, noradrenaline and cortisol are released into our bloodstream. These patterns of nerve cell firing and chemical release cause our body to undergo a series of very dramatic changes. Our respiratory rate increases, blood is shunted away from the digestive tract and directed into our muscles and limbs which require extra energy and fuel for running and fighting. Our pupils dilate, our awareness intensifies, our sight sharpens, our impulses quicken, our perception of pain diminishes, our immune system mobilizes with increased activation. We become prepared physically and psychologically for fight or flight. But once it has been triggered, what is the natural conclusion for our fight or flight response? By its very design, the fight-or-flight response leads us to fight or to flee, both creating immense amounts of muscle movement and physical exertion. This physical activity effectively metabolizes the stress hormones released as a result of the activation of our fight-or-flight response. Once the fighting is over and the threat which triggered the response has been eliminated, our body and mind return to a state of calm. However, it can be accompanied with a feeling of exhaustion. The question is, is there a cumulative danger from overactivation of our fight or flight response? And the answer is yes. The evidence is overwhelming that there is a cumulative buildup of these stress hormones. If not properly metabolized over time, excessive stress can lead to disorders of our autonomic nervous system, causing headache, irritable bowel syndrome, high blood pressure, and the like, and disorders of our hormonal and immune systems, creating susceptibility to infection, chronic fatigue, depression, and autoimmune deficiencies. So again, the best cure here is prevention. So in conclusion, we agree with the American Institute of Stress when they tell us this. Just as stress is different for each of us, there is no stress reduction strategy that is a panacea. The focus in recent years has been on preventing such problems, which makes more sense. This involves identifying the sources of stress in your life and finding ways to avoid them or reduce their impact. Overall, what we must remember is that the healthier you are, the better able you are to manage stress when it happens. Therefore, understanding stress management from a wellness lifestyle approach can give you money in the bank, and it can be invaluable in your life. Remember, stress is an unavoidable consequence of life. There are some stresses that you can't hope to avoid and others that you can prevent or influence. The important thing is in learning how to distinguish between the two. You may find help in following the advice of Reinhold Niebauer's Serenity Prayer. Grant me the courage to change the things I can change, the serenity to accept the things I can't change, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, Ed, it's already time to go. We hope that this program was informative and helpful for you today. Yes, Gina. And so, until we meet again, we look forward to seeing you next time 
on another episode of Native, Native New Health. Health.